This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Mike Hug, CFO of Wyndham Destinations. You're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 479. probably needed to tell the board or I needed to engage other executives inside the organization and you have to be aware of those things that involve others and you know just really making sure people are aware of what you're doing make sure they're in the boat with you um, and you know that is especially true of the board and especially the the audit committee and, and audit committee chairman you know they can be the biggest source of support for the CFO if you maintain that relationship and if you keep them in the loop on on how you're thinking of, of things that you're working towards and sometimes those are you, you, you can forget those you know that looking back on it uh, you know I had to learn a few important lessons along the way of making sure that you know all of my constituents were in the loop on the things that I wanted to do Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to CFO Stefan Schultz of Pros Holdings of Houston, a SaaS company that's using advanced algorithms to bring some of the e-commerce functionality and engagement practices being widely used inside the business-to-consumer realm to the business-to-business realm. Our discussion begins after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. CFO of Pros Holding, a software company focused on helping its customers create more personalized and frictionless customer buying experiences. Stefan, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Good to be here. As always, Stefan, we like to begin uh, by asking our guests to look backwards for us and share with us some of those experiences they feel prepared them for a CFO role. What comes to mind for you? 
So, Jack, there's, um, I think, three things as I reflect back on, on that question um, that, that really had an impact. Probably the first one had one of the biggest impacts on my role as a CFO, and it goes way back to early in my career when I left Arthur Anderson in the public accounting space and, and joined BMC Software. Um, and, you know, I went from being an auditor where I was you know, really part of the revenue engine. So I was part of the business and, and viewed as a, as a strategic component of the, of the overall office and, and firm. And I left there and joined BMC as the assistant controller. And within a month, the overwhelming feeling that I had and the way that my role was, was seen was as overhead. Uh, I really wasn't seen as a, a strategic part of the business anymore. And I remember really not liking that feeling and, you know, vowing at that point that, you know, as I moved my career in the G&A function, specifically within finance, that I was not going to let my role or my team's role be viewed as, a, as an overhead, uh, that we really wanted to be a strategic component of the business. And so, uh, you know, I still – I still kind of carry that with me today, and it's something that, uh, uh, you know, it drives me to, to really be a partner to our business and, and not be viewed as, uh, you know, kind of this, this overhead function. Um, you know, I guess the second thing would be as I, as I progressed in my career at BMC, I ultimately became uh, the vice president of corporate controller, and one of the benefits that came along with that role was, um, the, the company had decided to hire executive coaches for um, mo most of their executives. And um, I was fortunate to have one for a couple of years. And the, the thing that we focused on uh, over that two-year period of time were primarily around being an authentic leader and really understanding who I was and making sure that that authenticity was a part of my leadership style and not to suppress certain things or exaggerate other things because that's what I thought I was supposed to do, but instead really be true to myself and be an authentic leader. That was one of the big themes. And then the second one was around influencing and, and having the ability to, to influence. And, and he really educated me on the fact that, that is a, um, that's a skill that you have to continue to develop, especially as you move up inside of an organization because – um, as you work with people who are of higher rank and have earned, you know, uh, more executive positions, um, telling that group of people what to do isn't going to get you there or just assuming they're going to go along with what you think isn't always going to be the, um, the outcome. You have to be good at, at convincing others about why your ideas and why your direction is the right way to go, and it's all about influencing. So that's probably the second thing that really had an impact on my on my career. And then finally, I know this sounds real simplistic, but you know the the willingness to relocate. Um, and I'm not saying you have to relocate all the time, but you know identifying opportunities when they come up and, and the fact that it may be a little uncomfortable um, to to move from one location to another. And when I did decide to leave BMC, I'd been there for 12 years, and um, you know, I had decided that I really didn't feel like a lot of the growth that, that had happened to me really wasn't, um, I don't know that I, I was really projecting it, and I don't know that I was really seen as being ready to take that next step, i.e. being a CFO. And so it was, I, I decided it was time for me to leave, and 
when I did, I looked at many opportunities, really didn't want to relocate, but the best one for me was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is a, a very different environment than Houston, Texas, where I was at, uh, at BMC. And so I uh, made that move, and it turned out to be the best thing that uh, I could have done. And so I look back on that decision as being one of the, one of the keys to, um, you know, to, to put me in the position I'm in today. You mentioned you were there 12 years. Like uh, many finance executives make this type of investment, particularly at the start of their career, and they advance and they, they get a lot of training and skills along the way, and then it's time to move on. And that's what I think you sort of outlined there for us. Um, when it was time, did you, uh, did you reach out to a recruiter or was this um, just happenstance? I did. I did reach out to a recruiter, but um, the, the recruiters that I reached out to really weren't ultimately the ones that, that placed me at Lawson Software in, in Minneapolis. Um, I, as I said earlier, I really didn't want to leave Houston. Um, you know, we had very deep roots there. My wife and I are both from that area. And so really we were trying uh, very hard to stay there. But in software, um, and, you know, looking for an opportunity to be in a role where I ultimately became a CFO, um, just it was few and far between. And actually one of the recruiters said, look, for what you're looking for, you need to be prepared to wait a year, two years, um, to find that right opportunity that would pop in, you know, that one location. So, um, you know, it, it made me realize that I needed to look outside of Houston and then, you know, really started uh, fielding phone calls. Uh, from other recruiters that were calling about opportunities in, in other locations. Now, it, it looks to me as though you've returned to Houston now, uh, but there were, were you 10 years outside of the area? Well, um, so that's true. Uh, Pros Holdings is in, in Houston, uh, and so I've been now with Pros for four years, but I, um, I haven't relocated again, so I, I actually commute. So... I um, well later today, as a matter of fact, uh, as we're as we're conducting this this podcast, I'll be on a flight from Minneapolis to Houston. So, um, <laughs> okay. so I'm I'm commuting now. I'm doing kind of what uh, what we're doing here in this latest uh, generation in, in commuting. So the family uh, has sort of established itself and set down roots up in, in Minneapolis as well, I guess. And that, that's right. And uh, you know, surprise, surprise. Uh, but um, thank you for sharing that, uh, Stefan, because I think so often um, these are tough decisions to make, and there's a lot of uh, family-related uh, challenges as well as professional challenges in life, and I think it's opened uh, some professional doors for you at Lawson. You did rise to become CFO, so you took that next job, not as a CFO, but you joined the organization that would open that door. Let, let's um, talk about pros holding and what was the opportunity that, uh, that you saw that led you to Pro's Holding now? At this stage in your career, you've already had uh, a number of finance leader tours of duty. What, what made this opportunity attractive? Well, uh, I had heard and known of Pro's uh, when I was back in Houston and uh, actually uh, when I was at Arthur Anderson. Uh, Pro's was a uh, client of Arthur Anderson's, and, and while they weren't specifically my account, um, I knew about pros and, and what they did, and, uh, you know, when the opportunity came up, and it was primarily because the, um, the CFO who had been with the company for like 15 years um, was retiring, 
And so I received another example of getting a, a call from a recruiter uh, about this opportunity. And, and it just so happened to be about the same time that uh, we were selling uh, Digital River and so uh, to, to private equity, and, and I was not going to be a part of that equation going forward. And so the timing was perfect. And so I uh, took a look at, at, at pros, and, and what really intrigued me about pros is really what we do and, um, you know, what the, what the company's all about. And, you know, uh, for those who, who don't know what, what pros is, is about is, you know, we're one of the first software companies that, that really understood the relevance and impact of artificial intelligence and the impact that can have on businesses. Uh, today, we use advanced algorithms to optimize our customers' digital selling processes. And what we mean by that is um, if you think about a buyer's journey, especially, you know, uh, if you think about it from a B2C in, engagement like all of us do, uh, you know, we want to show up and we want to have products that are relevant to us appear first. So we want the, you know, whoever's selling this stuff, we want that to be, thought through and, and presented to us in a way that's, that's relevant to us. We want recommendations, and we want to know that we're getting the right price. Well, Pros does that, but Pros does it for B2B companies. So as B2B companies look to be more in the e-commerce game, much like us as consumers have with, with retailers, um, we're providing that same capability, if you will, that all of us as B2C shoppers have grown accustomed to, but put that in the B2B context, which is as you might imagine, it's a little more complicated because, you know, there are multiple buyers within a B2B enterprise. Uh, pricing is far more dynamic. It's not as static as it would be in a retail environment. And so those are the, the challenges that we tackle. And uh, what's really cool and what I saw in the opportunity four years ago was uh, you know, that's, where the, that's where the marketplace is going. And, and pros is right in the middle of it. And uh, you know, so far it's been just a, a fantastic journey, and, and I'm looking forward to, you know, how we can further impact the B2B environment going forward. So what is the kind of job, though, that you want to create for yourself at Pros? Well, you know, I've had a, a lot of opportunity to grow and learn, and, uh, you know, I've wanted to provide some of those um, those learnings to, to Pros. and. Uh, you know, we had decided right after I joined the company to stop being a perpetual company and go to a subscription as a service company. And, uh, you know, my most recent stint as the CFO at Digital River, we were a, a SaaS company. So um, my days at Lawson and BMC, we were, you know, a perpetual company. So I had a little bit of background on all those different environments and, and uh, really felt like some of the lessons that I had learned in the past could really be applied as, as pros not only went through that transition, but really started to take off as a, as a business, especially with the, you know, with the move in the B2B e-commerce space, uh, I really felt like there were things that um, you know, I had learned along the way that I could contribute to the organization. Is, did this require you to look for people with new or different skills, or would you tell me it's really the traditional skill sets but a different mindset. What would you? How would you describe this sort of evolution that you've been uh, going through over the last few years? Yeah, it's a little of both. Um, you know, we did. Um, you know, for the most part, we we have the same people we we you know had four years ago when when uh, I joined the organization. But but we did add 
some some particular skills, especially in in areas in the selling area. We also added some in the development area, um, and then it, it also in, in what we call customer success, which is the which is the group that's responsible for retaining customers after they you know initially sign and, and go live with your solution. So we did have some people that we hired, especially in some of the leadership positions that could help us uh, understand the. The things to look for, the initiatives to put in place, but for the most part, I would tell you that it's uh, you know it's it's the it's the same group of employees that that were there when I started. And uh, actually, one of the unique things about Pros is the the tenure of a lot of our people. Uh, Pros has been around for almost 34 years, and um, you know we still have employee number one. Um, we have employee number two, for that matter. Um, so there's a number of employees that have been with the organization for 20 or more years, and including our CEO, uh, who's been with the company now for 20 years. So uh, as you described, um, there's sort of this customer success uh, emphasis. What did that mean for finance? Was there a particular, and a, a, you know, obviously customer attrition, there are certain metrics you're looking at very closely, but are there... Was there another metric related to the customer experience that you you sort of uh, raised its profile, uh, let the organization know we have to look more closely at this going forward? What what did you do exactly? Yeah, you know that's a good question. Um, I would just simply looking at accounts receivable um, is another key metric to to you know look at. So you know obviously the customer success team brings with it things around. You know, uh, customer satisfaction and and engagement uh, scores and things of that nature, and all those things are are part of of the initiatives that they have. But um, the one that that's always hard to ignore is is you know uh, timeliness of of customer payments. And so we've incorporated that with our customer success metrics and in looking at you know the timeliness of of, of customer payments. Uh, because one of the things I've learned over my years is you know, happy customers typically pay on time. Uh, unhappy customers will will drag it out. Now, there's always a few exceptions, but you know, in a, in a normal environment, um, happy customers pay on time. And so, we tie together those metrics that that you know our customer success team brings to the table, together with uh, with the accounts receivable. And those are the accounts that where we feel like we have um, you know delays. We make sure we're we're paying particular attention there. Are you have you found it necessary to use one of these customer success platforms? Um, I've been hearing about from certain finance leaders. It's a Gainsight or Tango's another. Are are these part of your world yet? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, we we bought Gainsight. I say bought. It's a it's on a subscription level as well. So we you know we we subscribe to the Gainsight platform and. And half for the last um, couple of years now. So yeah, it's an important part of how we stay in tune with our customers, and it's a it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful solution that allows you to track all the different uh, metrics and engage, make sure all the engagements are maintained. And uh, it's it's a uh, we use dashboards from it every week when we go through our um, you know our, our weekly cadence. Did you say we have to? We have to make this move. We have to incorporate this type of technology into our platform, or uh, was it was it sales or who, who's involved? Why? Why? I'm wondering if this is sort of an organizational thing or something finance in particular uh, found important. 
No, this was not a finance, um, you know, originated uh, idea. Actually, this came from uh, the leader in customer success. Uh, the, the person who was running it at the time uh, realized this was a, a tool he needed to, to um, you know, better answer the questions that he was being faced on a, on a day-to-day basis and also deliver the, the results to our customers. And so, um, I mean, finance partnered with him once he made the decision to, to purchase the tool. And, um, yeah, we were happy to work with them and, and make that happen. So, like I said, we probably bought that about two years ago, but the origination of the idea came from the business uh, sector, yeah. What does it do exactly? What, 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 didn't it, what didn't you see before that you can now use this type of technology to, to help you read the uh, customer tea leaves or whatever it might be? Yeah, you know, I think the best way to think about Gainsight is, or, or tools like that, um, is to think about it as like a CRM tool for a customer success manager. So, you know, a CRM tool such as Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics, uh, you know, those are, those are tools that are used by salespeople to help them manage opportunities, help them, uh, um, you know, track the, the progress they're making on, on accounts. And it's also good for sales management to track sales rep behaviors, make sure that, the, the, you know, the accounts are being managed, et cetera. Well, Gainsight does the exact same thing, except it does it for, um, you know, current accounts, and it's with a different view around customer success. And so initially, I mentioned that we bought the tool two years ago. The idea was that we actually tried to do some of those things through our CRM tool and realized that the CRM tool does not have the the fields and the, and the capabilities that you would want to manage your existing customers. And, you know, things around, um, you know, monitoring your, your activity with them, the accounts receivable that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, the, the versions of products they're on, and, and et cetera. So all the things that you need to, to track how the, how the customer is, is interfacing with you as a business uh, call ticket is another example of things that, that, that you know this dashboard provides. So there's a number of things that, that help our customer success managers help them understand how to work better with our existing customers, and it's beyond what a CRM is capable of doing. So does that help? Yeah, that's that's great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, you've been, as you mentioned, I think, sort of in the subscription world for a while. And you've seen the companies uh, structure themselves. You just uh, you you emphasize the customer success uh, executive or the manager. I, I'm just wondering how this customer success organization is being structured in SaaS companies. And in your experience, given that you've had, you know, you can look at Digital River, you can look at Lawson, you can uh, understand that Pro's Holding how it might fit best into that organization. I guess I'm wondering, organizationally, if they're all similar in, in approach or? Um, they're similar in approach. I think the, the degree of, of um, you know, execution and the degree of discipline on certain aspects of the customer success role are, are different. Uh, because the you know at Digital River it was a little different environment than what it is say at um, at Pros, but for example we had a very similar customer success function when I was at Lawson and we were an on-prem company. Uh, now we had started right before we sold that business we had started to 
um, bring in, you know, cloud solutions to, to work in that environment. And that was managed mostly by our customer success team. But, yeah, I, I've seen it, it, it take on little different levels of personality, but for the most part they're doing the exact same thing, which is ensuring that, that customers that are, you know, that, that, that have signed on are getting the experience and they're getting the value out of the products they were promised to from the get-go and that they stay and remain, you know, happy customers for a long, long time. So when you join Pros Holdings, they want to move into this subscription model and they, they find a CFO who's lived that life uh, and understands it. Um, similarly, the customer success component grew up along with your arrival. That was an emphasis as well. I, I'm wondering if, you know, they, they've got the CFO who knows how to get there and they this customer success organization is a critical component of where you want to go. Yes or no? Or well, yes, but, but I don't want to take I don't want to take direct credit for that. So, in other words, uh, was it something that I realized we needed to do? Absolutely. Is it something that the CEO and I, uh, Andres, had a number of conversations around? Yes, we did, and and obviously I, I shared with him a lot of the experiences that I've seen in the past of what's worked, what hasn't worked, etc. But no, our CEO Andres is the one who. Uh, really initiated that um, that function, and for the most part, the, the the company had the customer success function prior to my arrival. But the personality of it, the um, you know, the the change around it, really took place after we made the decision to do, become a SaaS company. So we had a customer success function as an on-prem company prior to my arrival, but it's you know it, it took on a whole different personality. Once we decided to go SaaS, and, and and to your point, I had some ideas and some thoughts around that, but worked primarily with with our CEO to get those implemented, and he's the one who who really changed that role going forward. Yeah, I think uh, just uh, your story is very interesting. I think it, part of our audience will will find it most interesting, which is uh, so many are adapting and moving to a subscription model for part of their business or all of their business. And uh, they have customer service organizations that are 30 years old, perhaps, and they, they, they want to adopt this more customer success mindset, which is much more sophisticated. It's different from a customer service organization, I realize. And there are these new technologies out there, like Gainsight, that um, is sort of a shared platform uh, that, that finance and, uh, you know, there's a lot of collaboration between finance and that customer uh, success organization. So anyway, it's just an interesting, um, uh, you know, uh, situation to for us to reveal <laughs> in this podcast. So I thank you for giving us that detail. What would you tell us as far as your the metrics that you look at daily before your cup of coffee? What's top of mind for you? Yeah. So Jack, as a as an enterprise software company, you know, there's a um, there's not uh, a ton of day-to-day -day metrics, but there are a few. And, and I like to joke that there's really only two emails I look forward to every day. And the first one is our daily collections. So, uh, you know, that, as I mentioned earlier, you know, that is a, an area, one, that tells you a little bit about customer satisfaction and if customers are, are getting the value that they um, were, were promised. But, but second, you know, it's um, it's also something that is a big driver to our cash flow. And ultimately, if, if we don't collect the money, then, you know, we're going to be fall short of our cash flow goals. And, 
And uh, that's an area that we've really focused on and, and I'd say gotten much better at over the last uh, last four years. And then finally, our bookings forecast. I get a daily update on you know how that is progressing, what we signed in the in the previous day, and uh, get a good idea of, of you know how our business is is progressing. Uh, which obviously, you know, everything works together in a SaaS company. So first of all, you've got to book the business. Second of all, you need to implement it. That's why we look at the services bookings as well. And then, you know, lastly, you need to make sure that the, the customers are getting that value and, and they stay with you for a long period of time. So, you know, I, those are the two primary daily metrics we look at. But I'll expand it a bit to say on a weekly basis, you know, we get into a lot of those customer success metrics that we had talked about a few minutes ago. And, uh, you know, that's where we spend a lot of time looking at, you know, the customers that are up for renewal. We also look at the customer satisfaction scores and make sure that uh, we understand and have a pulse on, uh, you know, the, the, the customer experience and, and what they're going through. And then uh, the other thing that we look at um, is headcount. Um, for a software company, headcount really drives your, your operating expenses. And, uh, you know, that's been true when I started in software back in the early 90s up till today, um, the bulk of the uh, operating expenses are going to come in the form of, of personnel costs. So understanding where that's trending gives me a good idea of, of how our expenses are going to fall uh, in, in the quarter. Okay. Well, we're up to our finance strategic moment question where I ask uh, you to look back and during the course of your career, uh, for a, a period when your lines of sight into an organization allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk and respond to it and uh, either change the direction of the company or your function or whatever it might have been. Um, what comes to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Well, um, a couple come to mind, and one is more on a leadership side, one is more on a strict finance side. and. I won't go into the names here to, to kind of protect the innocent, so to speak, but um, one, at one point we were looking to do a major acquisition, one that was going to double the size of the company, and um, we, we were in the process of doing due diligence, and uh, uh, the other company we were looking at was a public company, and uh, I was leading the team to, to go out and, and do the due diligence, and and really figure out if we um, if this was a company we could we could put together with with ours. And when when we did the work, we came to find out that not only was there problems, but there potentially was you know um, really bad accounting practices, and so bad that you know we felt like um, it would be something that we we couldn't tolerate. So I had to go back and, and tell the, the leaders from both sides that. You know, we had issues, and, and um, we, you know, I, I was recommending that we stop, and um, which is, was not a very popular decision, as you might imagine. And, um, you know, fortunately for me, uh, I had, um, you know, some, some um, you know, key advocates inside the company and, and on the board of directors that um, really wanted to investigate this further, and we did. And a month later, uh, you know, the company ended up, um, having major issues, ultimately they went bankrupt, and um, the executive team on the, on the other company side ended up being terminated. So it was a, you know, it was one of those few moments. Um, but but you know, um, 
it was it was hard, uh, you know, to to go through that process and then have the realization that I needed to go and and deliver news that nobody was going to like. But it was also easy, on the other hand, because you know the work we had done, the you know the team of people we had out there had done such a good and thorough job that. Um, you know, I felt very convicted and very confident in going back with my recommendation. But, you know, uh, that next month, as I said, when we were really doing our additional work, uh, was sitting a little bit on pins and needles because we had, um, you know, we had halted a, a very strategic move that both companies were pretty excited about. Um, that was probably my biggest finance aha moment, which is, you know, never be afraid to, um, you know, stay true to your guns, be convicted on, on the things that you and your team have worked on. And even if it's unpopular, um, you know, deliver the news and and um, and stand behind it. And so that's been a big lesson for me. And one of my biggest accomplishments as a, you know, as a financial executive has been, you know, the deal we didn't do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting way to look at it. I, I'd say that the second thing is probably more from a leadership perspective, and, and this one I can share. When I first joined Lawson, uh, going through that interview process, I, uh, you know, I didn't take the role as CFO, but I did take the role as Senior Vice President of Finance. And um, in, in joining the company, they had uh, told me up front, they said, hey, we just went through Sarbanes-Oxley, it's been tough. Um, and you know we've we've had we, we have a few more contractors than we like, and we'd like you to to um, you know help rebuild the finance team and whatnot. So okay, I get it. Uh, we had just gone through Sarbanes Oxley at BMC, and you know I, I understood there were some challenges that went with that. Well, after I joined the company, I realized not only were there a lot of contractors, there were more contractors than employees, and. Um, you know, there were a lot of broken processes. Uh, there, the, the the morale of the team was not very high, and um, you know, so I remember flying back from Minneapolis back to Houston. My family had not moved yet, and writing down a list of things that I had found in my first week that were wrong, and basically landing in Houston, going to my wife and saying, "I think I made a mistake. I think I I think I picked the wrong thing to do here." Talking to her, uh, spend the weekend with her, and you know, have her kind of build me back up. I spent the next plane ride going back to Lawson, basically thinking about all the things that I would need to have in order to get these things fixed, and basically with the intention of, if you, I don't get these, then you need to find somebody else. And, and uh, sitting down with the executive team and, and walking through those, to my surprise, they gave me, you know, basically said, "That's perfect." Do exactly what you said, and we got your back, and we'll support you. And you know, the the aha moment for me there was um, I had grown up in a in a mindset of uh, you have to ask for things, you have to you know you have to ask for permission, and um, you know as as a, as a staff level to a young manager, not really having the authority and the ability to say this is what we're going to do, and this is why we're going to do it, and if you don't like it. You know, get somebody else in here, kind of thing, um, and um, and realizing that I had that kind of ability was the first time I had that, and it really changed how I approached problems and and and, and my recommended solutions going forward. So, uh, sorry, I know there's two of them, but they're two different things, and they, they both had um, 
you know, pretty profound impacts on how I operate today. Don't go anywhere. We enter the mentoring round with CFO Stefan Schultz after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Finally, we uh, want to enter our mentoring round with you, which is where we ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and mentor uh, future finance leaders. What is it that's exciting you today about finance and business? You know, the thing that excites me the most is I go way back to when I first started in, in, at BMC, and I talked about my, my story of not wanting to be overhead. Um, you know, as I read different articles that are published by McKinsey or in CFO Magazine, they're all talking about the operational CFO. And that's what really excites me is, um, you know, the, the acceptance that, that leaders in sales and, and product and, and customer success and marketing – you know, their willingness to invite and have finance be a part of their business, to, to a part of their decision-making, um, really, you know, makes my goals and, and my, my uh, intention for our organization much easier. So um, I like to – I think what excites me the most is just how finance is viewed in the business world today, and it's a bigger part and it's more accepted part of the organization than it was, you know, when I started – well, I don't want to tell you how many years ago, but many years ago. <laughs> you uh, climbed uh, into the uh, ranks of finance leaders while you were at uh, really Lawson. I think you stepped into the CFO office for the first time. You like to ask this question as you think back now. What is that piece of advice as you took on that leadership role for the first time? What is that piece of advice you wish someone had given you that day? That one missing piece of, that would have gone a long way, maybe. Probably the biggest thing would be to prepare people for big decisions. No, no one likes surprises. And I say that because, you know, what ends up happening is I, I shared with you some of my aha moments that, you know, hey, wait a minute, I, I, there, are, there are things I can do and I am going to be given the opportunity to, to fix things or, or put initiatives in place and, um, and so what ends up happening, you get caught up in that whirlwind and you, you, you know, you're executing, you're making decisions, and, and the better you get at that, the, the faster you move. And then all of a sudden you don't realize, well, I just made a big decision that I probably needed to tell the board <laughs> or I needed to engage other executives inside the organization. And, um, you know, you, you, you also have to realize that there's other constituents in the organization that are, you know, that have input on certain initiatives. And so it's always a balance, right? It's always a balance of, of executing and learning to, to execute based on the, the things you know need to be done, 
but then there are, you have to be aware of those things that involve others and, you know, just really making sure people are aware of what you're doing, make sure they're in the boat with you. Um, and, you know, that is especially true of the board and especially with the, the audit committee and, and audit committee chairman. Um, you know, those are, they're, they're the, the biggest advocate and the biggest, um, you know, they can be the biggest source of support for the CFO if you maintain that relationship and if you keep them in the loop on, on how you're thinking of, of things that you're working towards. And sometimes those are, you, you can forget those. And, uh, you know, I wish I had, um, you know, looking back on it, uh, you know, I had to learn a few important lessons along the way of making sure that, you know, all of my constituents were in the loop on the things that I wanted to do. So, so tell us something about yourself that most people don't know. Well, um, my wife and I love to go RVing. <laughs> um, have for years. It's something that we both did as kids and uh, we wanted to bring into our family. And so, you know, for the last 20 years, we have, uh, we've been RVing. And uh, our goal was to get our family to all 50 states before our kids graduated high school. We didn't quite uh, hit that, but we got them in the upper 40s. And uh, it's something we still enjoy doing today. And, you know, the other nice thing about RVing is that, um, you know, I'm still able to stay plugged into the, the organization and in the business as I'm on my, my trips. Um, I just have an earpiece in one ear. And, uh, you know, my wife uh, giving me uh, routing instructions in the other uh, to make sure we don't miss a turn. But it's something that relaxes us and, and uh, gives us an opportunity to see what, uh, you know, what this great country has to offer. There's so many beautiful sights and things to see and people to meet. Um, we really, really enjoyed that part of it. And like I said, it's really lended itself very well to the career choices that I've made uh, because I can still stay plugged in to a large degree when I'm on the road. Well, I, now I have to put you on the spot. This is too, uh, too good. Which state? I'm going to ask you to name one state. Its natural beauty surprised you. If you had to name one state, it sounds like you have a lot to choose from. Yeah, so there's a lot of them, and, and you know, uh, there's all the states that, to your point, you know, the one that surprised me, because we all know that California has some beautiful sites in Colorado, et cetera, but I'd say the state that surprised me the most was Montana, um, both from, you know, it has the, the, the nickname Big Sky State, and, you know, you don't really appreciate that until you're driving through Montana, and it really does appear to have a, a big sky. Uh, so there's just some really phenomenal views uh, that, that you have when you're driving through Montana, but especially when you get to the west side uh, and you get to where Glacier uh, National Park is, and it's just uh, it's, it's one of my favorite places to, to visit. Uh, I've been there a few times now, and I could go back again. Just uh, really, really love Montana. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? You know, I, one thing I would encourage uh, aspiring finance leaders to do is, is read. Um, and, you know, for me, one of the things that um, I, I spend a lot of time on is around leadership. Um, and, and the reason for that is I think finance leaders, you know, aspiring finance leaders understand that they need to, uh, they need to build disciplines around whatever it is, the accounting function, the, the FP&A function, the tax function, internal audit, all those disciplines that, that take place within a, 
uh, Treasury, um, all those disciplines that take place within a finance function, I assume they know they need to gain that experience. The one thing, though, that you that you really cannot live without, and that is the ability to lead, the ability to influence, the ability to um, to help people achieve their career goals, um, and all the while delivering value for the organization. And so uh, a number of leadership books um, uh, are, are great. I've, I've read a number of them. But, you know, the one that I go back to the most is, is one that's not hugely popular. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's another book with the same title, and when you Google it, you get the other book. Uh, but it's a book called Fearless Leadership. And it's a, it's, it's a, the subtitle is How to Overcome Behavioral Blind Spots and Transform Your Organization by Loretta Mellandra. Uh, that's easy for me to say, Mel, uh, Melandro. Um, and it is a book that um, really focuses on, you know, the blind spots that you have, how that impacts how people see you, how they uh, respond to your leadership, and then how you leverage that to really transform an organization. And uh, just a really good book. We haven't had that one before, so we always uh – Appreciate new selections, so thank you. Yeah. Um, we're bumping up against our final uh, question, which is, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Yeah, so, you know, um, for us, it's, it's a bit unique here at Pros because, you know, we talked earlier about some of the tools. We talked about Gainsight. Uh, you know, we talked about the CRM tool. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, you know, we haven't, really done as of yet was integrate all of those tools together with our ERP and you know we just recently made a an ERP decision um, we've been on a, on, a, on a legacy platform for quite a while and um, you know so we're going to be spending a lot of time over the next 12 to 18 months integrating all those systems together and providing a, a you know a, a much better decision information network for us to run our business with, and um, so that's going to be a major focus. It's, it has been for the last six months already, and it will continue to be for us for the next six months. Uh, I'm sorry, 12 to 18 months. Um, and then in, in addition to that, I'm always looking to grow people. Um, that's always going to be on my, you know, next 12-month, uh, you know, timeline, uh, helping people achieve their career goals and, um, you know, helping them grow and, and hopefully making – pros the place that uh, they can achieve those things. I really try to make sure that uh, I understand what people are going, you know, what they what they're aspire to, and then try to help them achieve those goals. So uh, those are the two things that, that, that I'm going to be spending most of my time doing over the next 12 months. Stephen Schultz, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Jack, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 
print edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.